Have you ever thought about what a wedding ring means? Whenever I'm doing a wedding, the, the exchange of the rings is always one of my favorite parts. In fact, I say that every time. This is one of my favorite parts. And I think that while we all know instinctively that the wedding ring is an important thing, we, we may not be able to articulate the why. Well, the wedding ring is a lot of things. It's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of the marriage that has happened, of two people coming together before the Lord. It's a sign. A wedding ring is a sign to the, anyone else that would see that, one, that each person is taken that they belong to each other, that they belong together. It's a symbol, it's a sign, but maybe most importantly, it's a reminder. Because when you receive a wedding ring, the idea is that no matter where you go, whether your, your husband or wife is with you or not, that you carry with you this Reminder, it's on your body, it's always visible. Now it's true that if you've been wearing one for a while, you stop noticing that it's there. It's odd, after you get married for a while, it feels strange. You talk to someone that's been wearing one for a week or less, and they can't get over the fact that their ring is on their finger all the time. After a while, that, that, that kind of fades, but any time you look down, there's a reminder of the person that you have stood before the Lord and committed your life to. We're in the middle of Deuteronomy. And it's the part of our series about remembering, about keeping present our relationship with the Lord in the way that a wedding ring keeps present for us our husband or our wife, the one that we've committed to. We don't have a wedding ring specifically to remind us of our, our connection, our covenant, our commitment to the Lord. I guess you could wear one. Some people do. But nevertheless, even though there isn't something like a wedding ring, we're called to keep him present in our lives by remembering him. And it's not as though if we, we, we fail to do this, he will be absent. It's not as though he goes away from us when we stumble in this way. But there's something important about the continual reminder that the Lord is with you. And so, we have a passage today from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'd like to encourage you to stand as we read today. We're called to remember that there are shoeboxes on the stage. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you are eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. And in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole, ho his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. You may be seated. Thank you, Ben. So this passage gives us three practical ways to remember the Lord. And before we dive into them, I want to give you our sermon summary this morning. The sermon summary is this. When we remember Jesus, we are changed by the Spirit and become like him. When we remember Jesus, we are changed by the Spirit and become like him. So the first part of this is in verses 6 to 9. I think the first way that we remember the Lord is this. We make God's love and commands the central interest of our life. We make God's love and commands the central interest of our life. I'm going to read those verses again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This paragraph is called the Shema. 
And it became a daily prayer for the Jewish people. They would say it as one of their first prayers every day. Many still do. It was considered very, very important. And the reason is because it reminds that they're to remember. And also that this command, this injunction to remember, is not some kind of legalist requirement. It's not, it's not remember or else. It's a call to remember out of love. Right? The relationship between God and his people was to be a relationship governed by love. And that love would be the motivation for remembering. And here's that, that verse in, or that saying in verse 5 that you probably find familiar. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus says something very similar in the New Testament. That actually happens nine times in the book of Deuteronomy. It's an important sentence. It's an important phrase. Because this, this remembering, this keeping present, isn't something that's just supposed to, to happen effortlessly. It requires a devotion and intention, our whole lives being given to God. And so the question here, right, he says, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, put them on your doors and your gates. This isn't a, a command for us to go home and to start painting things on our doors and gates. You don't have to bind the Lord's commands on your forehead or on your arms, although God's people did. Often when they came to worship, they would tie something around their forearm or their forehead. It's called a phylactery, and it would, have, it would have scripture inside of it. They would literally wear scripture to remind themselves how important it was to them. Again, you don't have to go home and start repainting your house with Bible verses all over, although that might be a very neat thing to do. But the call here is to make present in our lives, through and through, the things that God has called us to and commanded us to make his word present. You can think of it this way. If a person from the outside were to look in on your life, a person who, who didn't know you before, who'd never met you before, and just could see your life day to day, would they be able to tell that you belong to the Lord? Would they be able to see your commitment to him? Now, on one hand, right, that's not something you can see. You can't see commitment. But you can see a person being intentional about remembering. Is your life filled with times that you're intentional about remembering the Lord? Do you speak of him? Do you have his word in your life? I think that the, the, the command Moses gives here is incredibly practical. And it's not that hard to do, but it might make us a little uncomfortable. I tried to think of a, a very practical, concrete way. If you struggle with this, if you struggle with giving reminders to yourself, if you struggle with speaking about the Lord, if you struggle with keeping scripture present in your life, 
What would be a concrete way to take a step toward that? And I thought, most of us go to lunch after church on Sunday. Today, many of us, in fact, will go to lunch together at the mission meal. And one of the things that we do when we go to lunch or when we share a meal with people is we talk, hopefully. If you don't, well, that's just a very different experience than mine, right? We speak with one another. We share with one another. I know of some families that every week when they go to lunch after church, the first topic of conversation is, what did you think about church today? What did you hear? What did you learn? I know of parents who ask their children that question, both to, I'm sure, make sure that we're actually teaching them the Bible when they go down to children's church, but, but also just to encourage that learning, and also to make it normal for them to talk about their faith. When was the last time you sat with those people you go to lunch with and you spoke of the Lord? Now, it's not something to feel bad about if it's not a habit, but could you make it one? Could you today, as we sit down in the multi-purpose room and we, we share a meal of tacos, getting ready to talk about the budget, could you find time to speak with one another about church today? Could you do it next week? Could that become a regular thing for you? Because if you think about how awkward it would be, if you feel like that would be a difficult thing to do, to bring up God in a meal I just want to encourage you that there's something there that isn't good. And for you to run that over, to get rid of that, and to make it a habit, to make it a practice to talk about the Lord. A good place to start is once a week at lunch. And if you already do, I want to encourage you to do it more often. To encourage those conversations with each other. And if you're a kid that's here today, I'm actually going to appeal to you, my little ones that are here today, what I love about little ones is they're never afraid of a little awkwardness. So if you are, if you are below the age of teenage, right, if you're, not a, if you're not a teenager yet, if you're 12 or younger, I want to encourage you today at lunch when you're sitting with your parents at the table, I just want to make sure that you ask them about church today. And you wait and you keep asking until they answer. That can be your job every Sunday at the meal. Right? You can be the one who drives this habit in your family. And I'm doing this because otherwise your parents might think if no one starts it, we won't have to do it. Right? You can be the ones. That can be your job. But could you do that today? Could you do that often? The second way that we're supposed to remember. So we're supposed to make, make his love and commands the central focus of our life. The, the second way we can remember the Lord from this passage, is to remember that our blessings come from him. Verses 10 to 12 say this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the Israelites are getting ready to go and to take the land of Canaan, but the land of Canaan isn't empty. There's people in it, and these people have cities, they have farms, they've dug wells, and they have olive, uh, olive groves and vineyards. 
All these things that take a long time to set up. And what God is going to do is he's going to provide all of these things ready made for his people as a blessing. They don't have to do it. They just have to receive it. God's warning them that when you get into this land and things are easy, do not let yourself forget me. And he has to do this because we know this is true. It is somehow so easy to stop remembering, thinking about the Lord when life is easy. So often it's the hardship that make us run to him. It's the hardships that send us most fervently in prayer. It's when we encounter suffering that we go to him most easily. It's when we're scared that it's easiest to call on the Lord. But we, we're called to remember him, not just in hard times, but in good as well. God warns them, do not forget where these things came from. Now, we live today in a land so full of blessings that the Israelites would not have even been able to fathom it. Our life compared to theirs is easy. And it's true that in the midst of that ease, it is sometimes the, the, our practice or our habit to not think about, to not worry about the Lord until something bad happens. They wouldn't even be able to believe the kinds of lives that we live. And what that means for us is this danger that was present for them is even more present for you and for I. But Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Scripture tells us that He actually holds all things together moment by moment. This, this habit of forgetfulness that we can develop, this practice of not going to the Lord until we need something, it's so easy to fall into. It doesn't work with the Christian faith. Because every good thing, every positive, every blessing, it all comes from Him. And if we allow ourselves to forget, then we'll start to believe that we've provided these things. We don't need someone's help. What we need is a way to be intentional about remembering the Lord in the midst of blessings. A long time ago, one of my mentors talked to me about this issue, about remembering the Lord in the midst of blessings, and he gave me, again, a very practical suggestion. Many of you have heard me do this. He says, Clayton, you know what the Bible says you're to start every prayer with? He said, start with thank you. And the reason to do that is both because in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul actually says to always pray with thankfulness. But also, if we make this a regular part of our prayer, part of the rhythm of our prayers every time we go before the Lord, it'll change our perspective. Can we say thank you for our blessings in the good times? Can we remind ourselves that they come from Him? And then the next challenge that comes after that, can we say thank you for our blessings even when times are hard? Because we've said that it's easy to remember the Lord in the hard times, but sometimes we can become angry. Sometimes we can become 
bitter. Sometimes we can feel like we're going through something so difficult, we don't want to speak to the Lord because we're angry he's let us go through it. Even then can we come before him and say, thank you. I wrestle with this, honestly, when I'm praying for someone who's sick. Can we pray thankfully in that moment? What about when we're praying at a person's funeral service? Is that an inappropriate time to thank the Lord? And that's hard because we want to be sensitive, but at the same time, it is so vital that we never let ourselves lose track of the fact that God has provided for us blessing after blessing. We can't be distracted by the blessings and think we've done them on our own, but we also can't be distracted by the hardships and forget that he has blessed us. We need to maintain a heart posture of gratitude. And God says to his people, you're about to go in and you're going to find things very easy. And then, when they mess up, things are going to get harder. In both circumstances, God's people are called to be thankful. Do you thank God for the blessings in your life? If you're in good times right now, hear me. Start this practice immediately. Every time you pray, pray with a thank you. Remind yourself that these blessings did not come because you are so good you've earned them. There are good things that we earn, right? Hard work earns wages, but, but the blessings that surround our lives, our good health, our families, our friends, they're blessings from the Lord. If you're in good times right now, start this habit right away. Say thank you. If you're in hard times right now, it's harder to begin. It's hard to start saying thank you in the midst of the trial in the suffering, but hear me, if you can, I encourage you to do so. To remember that even when you're scared, even when you're in pain, even when things are hard, you can come before the Lord and say thank you. Because we are never without blessings. All of us always have the greatest blessing that has ever been given, which is the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We always have cause to say thank you. Can we adopt a heart attitude that always remembers to thank the Lord for what he's given us? Then moving on, the third way that we're called to remember the Lord is this, to keep him first in our heart. Verses 13 to 16. Fear the Lord your God, Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. When we forget that every good thing belongs to and comes from the Lord, we tend to allow someone or something else to take the throne of our heart. We call those things idols. Idolatry is any time we give devotion or allegiance that belongs to the Lord to someone or something 
else. And the very uncomfortable truth is that all of us have idols. In the ancient world, they would actually have physical idols, right? Physical manifestations or creations that looked like a god that they would carve or they would make. And they would actually set them in a prominent place in their home and bow down and worship them. Usually that's not the case today. Although there's times in some of y'all's house, there's so many Cubs or Cardinals things, I start to wonder. That's mostly a joke. But when we forget that every good thing comes from him, it makes a space or an opportunity for us to turn to an idol. And the hard part of it is this. If we start to talk about idolatry, most of us are comfortable saying, no, Jesus is my first commitment. I'm not, I'm not giving my life to someone or something else before him. And in a general sense, for most of us, that's probably true. But the trouble with idols is they don't have to be in every part of your life. They only have to be in one. Do you have an idol when it comes to your checkbook? Maybe every other part of your life is situated. Maybe he's on the throne every other time, but when it comes to money, there's an idol. Maybe when you think about your country, you struggle with idolatry. Maybe your love for the Lord is only threatened if you have to choose between him and your country or a politician or a political party. Do you have an idol when it comes to politics? Or maybe your idol is entertainment. You will follow the Lord anywhere so long as you're not bored. Right? We give our time and our hearts to things that we know we ought not do because we need them to be entertained. Or maybe your idol is approval. You'll follow the Lord as long as he doesn't make you do something that's going to make you unpopular. What is the idol in your heart? Because you have one, maybe several. I know I do. It's true of all of us. If, you're, if I'm asking that question and nothing comes to mind, then I'd like to encourage you to do something. I'd like to encourage you tonight, when you go to bed, or sometime today when you have some free time, to go to the Lord and ask, Lord, what is it that has too much of my heart? And if nothing comes to mind, that doesn't mean that you're the one person not struggling with idolatry. What it means is it's hidden from you and you need to spend the time. You need to dig in and you need to ask, Lord, what do you want me to turn over to you? In my experience, most times people know exactly what it is. And so my challenge for you today is to, uh, to let it go with reckless abandon. If your phone is leading you to idolize something you ought not do, to allow something else the throne in your heart, you need Jesus to be first more than you need your phone. Do you believe that? Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's so toxic. You know that the Lord has called you to move in a certain direction, but you're just not willing because there's something else on the throne. 
You need him more than you need that relationship. Maybe when it comes to money, you're really uncomfortable because I, I said the M word and you're, you're wanting me to leave that be. Your heart's racing a little bit. Leave your checkbook alone, right? If that's you today, hear me. You need him more than you need any of that. Perhaps it's your time. Perhaps it's what you give your time to, what you're committed to, whatever it is. You need him more than you need your idol. Remember, it's him that every good and perfect thing comes from. It's him that's responsible for every single blessing. When you identify your idol, throw it away with reckless abandon. And while there might be fallout from that, while you might have to deal with some embarrassment about that, people may realize you've made a change and they may even realize why. You need him to be on the throne more than you need your pride. My encouragement to you today, whatever the idol is, to throw it away with reckless abandon. The truth is that if we live this way, if we always remember that we belong to the Lord, that we're followers of Jesus, it will change us. By the power of his spirit, we will be transformed when we keep him present by remembering him we are changed we're made to be more like he is but it does something else too it makes us a powerful witness because it causes the people around us to look at us and ask why and so in the future when someone asks you, why do you do these things? Why do you go to church? Why do you serve when you don't get paid? Why do you talk about the Lord? Why do you thank Him every day? Why do you examine yourself for idols? Why do you get rid of these things just because they're bad for you spiritually? Why do you go through all of that? You can tell them, we were slaves to sin and death. But the Lord saved us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his Son. Before our eyes, the Lord has sent signs, changed us, provided for us blessing after blessing, and used us to show his love to the people around us. But he brought us out of sin and death to be with us forever, to use us in his plan to redeem a fallen world. And the Lord has called us to always remember him so that we might be aware of his work and be blessed to be part of it. Could you live your life in such a way that when someone asks you what was different, you were comfortable sharing? Could you live your life in such a way that no matter what blessing you received, you were thankful to him first and foremost? Could you live your life in such a way that he was evident to all those around you as the one who rested on the throne in your heart? And hear me, by the power of his Holy Spirit, yes, you can. And I want to encourage you today to make those changes, to adopt some new practices, to do things a little bit differently, and to see how he works. Pray with me.
Father God, we come before you so thankful for blessings. You are so good. We pray that you would help us to remember you. Not just to have you in mind, Lord, but to be intentional in our lives about keeping you first and foremost in our lives. Lord, help us to remember you. Give us boldness. Give us courage when we need it. To say to our family, let's talk about God. What did you learn from church today? What happened in your Bible reading today? Give us the strength to run to you any time that any good or bad thing would draw us away. When we'd be distracted by a blessing, help us to remember to run and cleave to you. And Lord, when we are tempted to allow someone or something else on the throne in our heart, humble us, Lord. Remind us of who we are and who we belong to. And by the power of your spirit, allow us to put you back as our Lord and our Savior. Pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.